Come on, harmonize with me. Welcome to Medical Minefield, the podcast where we talk about the ethical dilemmas at the heart of the health stories that matter the most. I'm Barney Kalman. And I'm Eve Simmons. And we are health journalists, which means we spend our lives asking tough questions to top experts so you don't have to. This week we're asking, why are disabled Britons still getting stuck on aeroplanes? As always, we'd like to know what you think. If you've got a question or have something to say, you can do so on Twitter using the hashtag MedicalMindField. I don't think you can really open a newspaper at the moment without reading about travel chaos. No, queues everywhere. Cancel flights, holidays ruined, holidays ruined. Can't even get on a train. Seas of baggage. I, yeah. I actually got caught up in my own travel nightmare on the way back from Miami recently. Oh, do yes. you tell? Yes, well, my flight was delayed by the weather and then the flight was cancelled and then I ran through the airport because I was told that I might be able to make my flight and then handed my bag to someone and then bag got whisked away somewhere else and then I missed a flight and then they told me that because it was the weather they wouldn't help me find anywhere to stay and then my bag went missing and they said they couldn't find it and it was all it was all a drama what an absolute drama. nightmare well to be honest I, I i feel like it's all it's all you know you've got to roll with the punches when you travel occasionally things like that do happen but you know you have to when you go through these things spare a thought for people whose lives are made a misery on a regular mm, basis mm-mm. when they travel. And that is people who are disabled and primarily people who rely on wheel- wheelchairs to travel or mobility aids to travel. And things are very difficult for them when they try and use aeroplanes and trains as well, as you've been discovering this week, Eve. It seems that there's this gaping big hole in the travel industry and disabled people who use wheelchairs have just not been considered at all. In kind of recent years, I guess things have got slightly better. However, it seems that there's really crucial things that anyone would want when they go on holiday. If you're in a wheelchair, these things just aren't provided. So, for instance, having somewhere to store your wheelchair on the aircraft, being able to manoeuvre around the airport without having somebody from the airport pushing you around. Yeah, that really surprised me when you were talking to me about that because when you arrive at an airport you've you've requested mm. special assistance, you have to give up your own wheelchair because it has to get put in the hold because they don't have a space to store it on the aircraft in the cabin. Yeah. And you're then put in one of those those funny chairs that have to be pushed with a big hook hanging yeah. out the top of them. And I mean, for someone who spends their life manoeuvring around the world and in, in a wheelchair and is completely independent, yeah. to suddenly be pushed around like an an invalid, yeah, I suppose. Yeah, by, by a stranger. You by know. a stranger, you know, must be, it's very undignified. Absolutely. Some airports, it must be said, so I think relatively recently Heathrow changed their policy so you can stay in your own wheelchair up until the gate. But then right at the last minute, like as I believe they do this with buggies with small children as well, at the last minute they will then take it from you and mm. put it in the hold. But of course this means that passengers can't get into the cabin in their wheelchair and it creates these 
problems for the other end because when they need to get off the plane, they often have to wait for hours and hours for someone to find their wheelchair because it's in the hold. I mean, the reason we're talking about this is because an incident like that happened at Gatwick Airport last week. A picture went viral of a lady named Victoria Brignall who was left stranded for an hour and a half, sat on her own Mm. after all the other passengers had disembarked because uh, no staff were there to help her move from the cabin to the wheelchair, which was stood outside at the gate. I mean, how frustrating is that? It seems there's two things that can go wrong and often, all too often do go wrong. Either staff can't find the wheelchair because there's no designated space for it in the hold. They sort of just get lost and staff can't locate them. And if a passenger is lucky enough to have their wheelchair located quickly... Often there's no staff to help them move mm. from the seat into the wheelchair. And that's what the BBC's Frank Gardner has has tweeted about multiple times. I believe it's happened to him four times, hasn't yep. it, in the yep. last few years? He's experienced both problems, I think, in total four times. He's being, been stuck stranded, on plane. being stranded on these planes, waiting for people to... In fact, I mean, move. on one occasion, it's almost laughable. He, he tweeted that the staff who had managed to find a lift that would lift him out of the seat got stuck within the, the galley between the, you know, those galleys that take yeah. you from the terminal to the plane. Oh, yes, they'd locked themselves, locked in, themselves a, in. in a lift. Yes. Ding, ding. Well done. <laughs> Five points. The thing is, we write a lot about disability and the, the indignities. It's a campaign that we've been running for mm-hmm. years and you've been at the, the forefront of that, reporting on some horrendous situations. Mm-hmm. And, and we talk about this privately. Why do these things keep going on? Mm-hmm. Why does nothing ever get so- sorted out? The complicated needs of many people with disabilities span housing, yep. work and pensions, so budget, money, benefits, etc. Mm-hmm. And, and also health. So there's no one minister. There's this Chloe something or other minister for disabilities who's I've never heard from her. No. We've been we've what been, do you do? Well, we've been running stories. I did about actually email her instead about this and have a really, Of course, of course. People have been literally, you know, we'll, we'll serve them up, you know, stories of people literally dying <laughs> yeah. from things that Having are to on go to her the toilet patch. in their living room. What is her yes. name? Chloe Smith, I think. Chloe Smith. Chloe it. Smith. You are useless. You do nothing. If you disagree with that statement, please do call us because we've been asking for you to say something for a very long time, honestly. Anyway, I digress. Often these problems are very complicated and they, they span these, mm. these multiple areas. So there's a lot of buck passing, a lot of mm. how are we going to sort out these very, very complex problems that will involve you know, multiple agencies working together. But this stuff is not insurmountable Absolutely. you know sorting out air travel i mean british airways are currently investing hundreds of millions in making their all their business class cabins into to special suites with the sliding club suites. Do- the club suites. In fact, do you know they sounds fabulous. They spent eight point three billion dollars. So I, what's that in pounds? I don't know. A lot of billion. A lot of billion. <laughs> and in order for each suite to offer direct aisle access, a door that you can close for privacy, I'm and a contoured life flat seat with luxurious smacking bedding. Smacking my head against the table uh, at this point. So they can do that. Yeah. They can roll that out across the entire fleet of their giant airplanes, their whatever. Mm-hmm. But they can't. Can't find space, mind you, space that already exists but mm-hmm. is currently filled with the bags of the crew at the front of a standard short haul or duty free products or duty free products yeah. or whatever. 
to store a wheelchair so people don't have to drag themselves on and off aeroplanes. They they can't do that. I think that the, the kind of most heartbreaking thing that I've come across, the conclusion that I have come to when doing this piece, is that there is this attitude towards disabled people which is as long as they have the very basics in life they're fine and we don't have to afford them the things in life that everyone else who isn't disabled also enjoys so going on holiday for instance there's almost this assumption oh, what kind of, is it kind of, oh, well, that because you're disabled they're not dead so you yeah exactly you're not going to want to go on holiday obviously oh, obviously okay. disabled people don't want to go on holiday or maybe just a staycation at home Absolutely absurd. You've been talking to one of the UK's leading voices on disability who is launching a call to action in the Mail on Sunday this weekend and you've got her on the line now. Yes, we're very lucky to have Baroness Tanny Gray-Thompson who is the Paralympian, of course, and also a UN ambassador. Tanny, you've been talking publicly about disabled people being left on empty planes for a number of years now. Why do you think that this problem keeps happening? I think mostly it's because the companies just don't think. I think they try hard. I think they do invest some money in it, you know. But the reality is that disabled people aren't thought about as, as passengers who pay money to be on a train or a plane. They're often considered a little bit of an inconvenience, to be honest. So it's just not on people's radar that actually they have to do much better than they're currently doing. Mm. And as I understand, you've experienced these kind of situations quite a few times, haven't you? Oh, I mean, yeah. I mean, I've, I've been left on numerous trains. I've been 45 minutes at Manchester Piccadilly late at night. I've been left on planes. I've had to, you know, pull myself off on the floor on a plane. I've had my chairs broken, damaged, lost. You know, so, I mean, I've, I've literally lost count of, of how many times it's happened. So it, it's not a new phenomena. It's something that's always happened. And from what I understand, it's to do with the, is it the airport or the airline or both? So in most cases, it's to do with the airport because they're the ones who provide, they call it special assistance. And what we're hearing at the moment is it's because of a lack of staff. And I do understand that because we're seeing that in lots of different industries. But I don't think you can just blame it on that and and nothing else the, the reality is more people are say flying and requesting special assistance so that doesn't help to be perfectly honest but it's i'm, I'm not sure what has to happen for something to change i mean the, the, the trouble is there's lots of really good people out there there's some great companies there's people trying really hard but what's different now is that we have social media and we're able to amplify the cases that we hear about as opposed to you know, even a couple of years ago, actually, if you complained every time it happened, it's just exhausting. And I've, I've you know, written loads of letters over the years to train companies and plane airlines, and it doesn't really result in much. So you end up not particularly bothering complaining because what's it actually change? Tani, can I ask, will you take us through exactly how it works with flying? So we talk about special assistance, but what's the process? Say you've, you've booked a flight, and then what are you expected to do? What, what do you do next? So... What you should do really is notify the airline that you need special assistance. Now, some companies make that easier than others. Some have it as a really easy bit on their website. Others, they might direct you to a phone number or an email that you have to send. So then when you turn up at the airport, they would like you there a little bit. I always arrive early, you know, just in case. And then at check-in, for me, I would always insist on a gate tag for my chair which is basically, it's like a, a bag tag, but it also has an extra massive orange sticker on it that says that they're meant to bring that back to the gate. You have to give up your own chair, that you have to go into one of the air- airport chairs, is that right? 
there's airlines that would like passengers to do it because it makes it more convenient. I've pretty much always refused to do that because then you're separated from your chair a long way from the plane. Whereas I always prefer, even if I've got to be at the gate really early, I'd rather be at the gate because then it's it's much harder for them to take your chair down the steps and put it on another plane. I mean, that actually has happened to me, so I'm not sure how somebody managed to do that. But um, partly because my chair is, I can move it myself, it fits me. Before now, I've been offered, you know, an airport chair, and they said, oh, we'll give you a man to push you through the airport. It's okay, what, what happens when I go to the bathroom? Oh, well, well, he'll go into the toilet with you. Well, I don't think that's going to happen. You know, it's just not, it's not right, some of those things. So, yeah, you, you get to the gate. I need an aisle chair to get on board because I can't walk. You transfer from your day chair to, to an aisle chair, and they take you to your seat. And pretty much you're always pre-board so that you're on and you're settled before everyone else piles onto the plane and takes up all the overhead cabin space. And is an aisle chair, is an aisle chair like a, a kind of, it's a narrow buggy type type thing, isn't it? Yeah, it's a narrow mm. chair, little wheels, and it kind of just fits down the aisle. Is that what you use if you need to go to the loo in the flight? Do you get onto the the aisle chair and then take yourself to, to the toilet? So. Yeah, so the cabin crew are meant to assist you to the door of the bathroom. And but I mean, I, I used to fly a lot and used to get a bit weary every time on a flight and they say, look, we can't help you in the toilet. Well, actually, if you need that kind of personal care, you should actually be travelling with someone. You know, it is not the job of the crew to do that, but it is the job, I think, for them to help you to get to the door of the toilet. And I've had friends who've, you know, been refused use of the aisle chair on board to get to the toilet. I've had to crawl to the toilet before. And so the rules of which airlines carry aisle chairs or not is also a bit complicated because on a short haul, some airlines don't actually even carry an aisle chair on board. So let me just go back. You've, on a flight, been forced to crawl down the aisle to get to the loo. <laughs> it's, do you know what? I mean, it's when you, when you ask me questions about it, you go, oh, actually, that's not great. But because it's just sort of part of what you have to do or I've had to do, you kind of end up sort of normalising it a little bit as well, which actually that's part of the problem because if you normalise that, then you don't complain about it either. And I'm lucky, I can do it if I have to, but it's not great to have to do that. And, you know, actually, if, if I'm taking a flight more than, well, actually, to be honest, whatever length flight I, I take, I dehydrate myself. And, and you know, this health concerns that it's not great to do it. I, I think I'm relatively practiced at it because I, I do it when I travel by train to some extent. So, um, you know, because you, you want to minimize the number of times that you have to, to, to get to the loo if especially if it's a, you know, a long flight. It, it seems, Tani, we've done a lot of reporting on issues affecting disabled people over the years and whether it's it's housing or transport or health or anything. This is something that I've come across again and again is so many disabled people are just kind of fighting a daily battle. They don't kind of shout about the problems that they're facing because they just have to get on with it every day. And mm. it seems that this is completely the case here too. Yeah, I mean, it, it's... I mean, big discrimination is easier to fight because you can prove it. The low-level stuff is quite hard. And it's also quite wearing, actually. But I'm treated three really distinct ways, which I think helps give me kind of quite a lot of context because I'm treated one way as an ex-athlete, which is generally pretty nice. I'm treated another way as a parliamentarian where people like me or really don't like me and there's not much in the middle. And then the third way I'm treated is as a disabled woman. And that's where I experienced probably most discrimination or I get talked down to or I'm told like people like you shouldn't travel on the tube at this time because people have got jobs to go to and and that's quite wearing I mean I, I think I'm pretty thick-skinned about a lot of this stuff but there are times it just does get 
really hard. I mean, I, I say to, you know, anyone from train companies, a CEO said to me recently, so what do you want? And I just said, I want the same miserable experience of commuting as everyone else. You know, I, I don't want special treatment. I, I aspire to have the same miserable experience of commuting as everyone else. <laughs> and people laugh and then they sort of listen and go, oh, okay, because you can't take things for granted. You've got to turn up at a train station. You can't just jump on a train. You, you're meant to book assistance. Everything takes longer. So I probably spend two to three hours a week extra, either at train stations or, you know, just figuring out how I'm going to get round compared to someone who was doing exactly the same job as me, who lived in the same place, who was non-disabled. Eve has been doing a bit of research this week and came up with some facts that made my head explode, that British Airways are spending $8 billion, I think you said, dollars, like $8 billion, yeah. dollars, so probably about four, four or five billion pounds on making their business class seats into special cabins that have little closing doors and extra food or something like that. And and of course, there's, uh, you know, Virgin Galactic, <laughs> you know, Virgin uh, are going to send people into space. It makes me think there is money. And what you're asking for is not much. And these problems are not complicated or insurmountable, as long as there's some genuine will and commitment to making these changes. These things aren't huge, are they? They're, they're, they aren't going to cost a lot. No, and, and tying what you said together, you know, about, you know, going into space, it's not rocket science, some of this. <laughs> and in lockdown, I remember having a phone call from lots of journalists because the European Space Agency decided they were going to send a disabled person to space. And it's kind of interesting, you know, people rang me for me to sort of give comment. And I think I was meant to be really excited and I, I just said, I can't get on half the Northern Line, you know. Um, I mean, I get on bits of it, but it, it's like really interesting for that disabled person who goes into space yeah. and there will be benefit 30 years down the line. But it's, it's not something I can get excited about right now because there's only a third of London tube stations that I can use. And actually, a load of those I don't ever need to use, so it doesn't really help me, to be honest. So, but, you know, it, it's things like that. It's being able to get sort of taxis, get into restaurants, Accessible toilets are still often quite filled with buckets and mops and all sorts of things. And the world has moved on, absolutely. But it's not moved on as far as I, I think I probably would have hoped by now. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Baroness Tani Gray-Thompson. It's been an absolute pleasure to speak to you. Thank you. Take care. It was interesting what Tani was saying about the fact that disabled people often just kind of put up with things that you and I, yeah, that it's all normalised. And um, it reminded me of a conversation I had this week with Victoria Brignall, who was the woman who was stuck on the plane that Mm. was in all all of the pictures. And she said to me that when she goes out with her carers, she's got used to asking her carers to stick their foot in the door of the train to make sure that there's enough time for her to get on and off. And I said, that's that's ridiculous you know potentially that's an injury and she said well it's just something that I have to do. Yeah and I go back to our conversations that we've had over the years uh, in light of things that you've reported on which these families facing extraordinary difficulties that they're just seeming to absorb and somehow get on with and 
having their own homes are not suitable uh, for for the 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 complex needs of a disabled family member so whole families sleeping on the floor mm. of one room in a house in order to you know properly be able to tend to the needs of that that family member and um, because there's no way for people to get up and down stairs and i mean it's it's mm. this kind of thing that that people do cope mm. People do manage. I mean, there's been stories of, of parents creating toilets out of buckets on the floor of living rooms because mm. they can't get because the child you, to the toilet. You do cope. You do manage. Mm. And these people are incredibly tough and resilient and have support networks around them as well, hopefully. But they're being expected to go way above and beyond what people without disabilities would mm. be expected to do, just to do very ordinary things. I mean, that's what Tani was saying. Absolutely. You know, the hoops that they have to jump through are above and beyond and i was very interested as well that in america when it comes to to flying it's federal law so it's written into law across the whole of america that you cannot discriminate you can't even ask someone so if you need special assistance in the uk you have to give 48 hours Mm. notice you're not allowed to do that in america they have to be ready with the assistance should someone turn up on the day of travel and say, I'm going to buy a ticket, I need to travel now. And they're slapped with Mm. a fine. And you were saying million-dollar fines. Some airlines have been forced to pay out something like a million, I learnt this week. And there's also cease and desist orders, which means that if airlines are found to be um, continually breaking these rules and and not having storage spaces for wheelchairs on on board and things like that, the authorities can actually say, Hmm. you can't fly anymore. Well, I think that that should happen here. Sean Doyle, chief executive of British Airways. I expect you're not having the uh, best of weeks this week What with the threat of industrial action uh, adding to your woes. However, we think that, you know, you should be facing a massive fine if things that like what happened to Victoria Brignell continue mm. to happen. It's just not on. And if you'd like to come and talk about it to us, please feel We're free to get ears. in touch. We're all ears. But next on the line, you've got someone that has some specific solutions to these problems. Yes. Speaking to us next is Chris Wood, who is a aviation consultant specialising in accessibility. Chris, thank you so much for finding some time to talk to us. We're talking today about this terrible problem of disabled people being left for hours, in some cases, on empty planes. Do you have any sort of practical solutions that you think might be useful to to stop this happening? It's been awful the last few months, although it's nothing new. There was some television back in 2012 about on the Paralympics about how flying should be made better for those that use wheelchairs. And here we are 10 years on and nothing has changed. In fact, we've gone backwards. So, yeah, no, I'm working with industry and we have an industry solution, which is, we call it Air for All, and it allows a wheelchair user to stay in their own powered wheelchair and to access the aircraft and get off it again at the other end without having to wait for any assistance, which is really where we should be in 2022, to be honest, Eve. Would that mean that a passenger would have to have this specific wheelchair in order to fly? So they may be in a situation where they'd have to have two wheelchairs, one for travelling and one not for travelling. My own daughter has three wheelchairs. So it's not unusual for someone to have more than one. But if we don't create a wheelchair that's fit to fly, if we think about a big powered battery that sits in the back of a wheelchair, that's not liked in aviation. 
So we were in a pressurized cabin, 30,000 feet up in the air, flying at, you know, around 500 miles an hour. It's very different to a car or a train or a bus, so we have to adjust accordingly. We're working with Sunrise Medical to look at this power wheelchair, and I know they want to have a wheelchair that's not only fit to fly, but for someone to use day in and day out for everything else. Chris, you, I'm a bit, bit of an aeroplane geek here, so I'm very interested. Hey. I'm very interested. What other challenges are there when it comes to having a wheelchair space to park the wheelchair in a cabin? We don't lose any pack seats, and that's always been the elephant in the room for aviation. You know, they're like packing us tighter than El Chapo's suitcase on a weekend away. So what we really want to do is try and keep that so consumers still have cheap tickets and so forth. Uh, and we think we've solved that issue. So, so it would fit into the footprint of a regular a regular airline seat without, without changing too much, is that what you're saying? Yeah, absolutely. So we've taken a single aisle aircraft, we've put two premium economy seats in the front rows to give us a little bit more width and flexibility for the wheelchair space. So we're not exactly bucking a trend here. We're following the trend that is single-aisle aircraft. We're looking at premium economy in the front seat. So we're really not changing anything here. We're just adapting. Have you become frustrated with the lack of progress like many people in this sector have? You know, you were talking about this 10 years ago. Charities have tried it to push this forward. I think where I've gone a different route is I've used my credit card, unfortunately, and I've gone to meet industry. And I'll be honest, I thought I would be hung as soon as I walked through the door. As it happens, the industry wants change and they know they're well behind land and sea when it comes to accessibility. So people have come to me and said, right, let's try and change this. And two of those prime people are Priestman Good in London, who are one of the biggest designers of aircraft cabins in the world, and SWS Certification in Wales. We certify everything that goes in an aircraft. I am simply standing on the shoulder of two giants who believe this is the right thing to do and have come up with a solution. Chris, I mean, obviously it sounds really exciting and fantastic, but it is kind of five steps ahead given that most aircrafts don't even have a disabled toilet on board. Um, Don't get me started on that. Don't get me started on that. Well, I mean, that was going to be my question. Are there things that can be done and should be done or should have already been done that are far more simple? Yeah, I mean, regulation on a twin-aisle aircraft says you've got to have an accessible toilet, but regulation has not caught up with single-aisle aircraft. Yeah, I know. It's really ridiculous, isn't it? I mean, we all deserve the right to have a pee, do we not? But not on an aircraft. We have to remember that airlines are self-regulating. So if they don't want to do it, they don't have to. So they won't. So there are airlines that are better than others at this and some that don't care. They are bottom line driven, profit driven. Which airlines don't care? Who doesn't care? Not telling you. That would be wrong. Name name and shame. I think we've got to that. We've got to that stage now. (laughs) I, 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 I think there's too many, unfortunately. Hmm. Chris, I'm right in thinking that you got into this um, area because of your children. Is that correct? Yeah, so I've got two kids. My daughter Taylor is 29 and she loves flying. She loves, she's in a wheelchair, but she goes on a sit ski down the mountains of Austria and scares the bejesus out of me. My son is just, he's 27. He is finishing his master's at university and he wants to go into journalism in around F1. And so he wants to travel the world and report on F1. And if either of them go away on an aircraft, it's, it's just a dignified 
dare I say, unsafe experience. Have you had situations where wheelchairs have been lost and broken and that kind of thing? Yeah, I've had it all. It's not great, but I do know the system, so I kind of have an advantage. And also, I'm probably one of those dads that's a little bit more, I just get over it, get on with it, let's do it. And, and I guess you got to a point where you thought, hang on a minute, there's things that can be changed to make this easier for my children, and, and I'm going to go ahead and do it. Yeah, that's correct, Eve. So it was a trip in Mexico where my daughter's wheelchair took ages to come on board the aircraft, and I simply you know, I got on my keyboard, got on Google research. Well, why on earth is still this? Is they still like it? And I tried to find people who could help and try and understand the law, understand the industry. And you know, over the years, I've been uh, now part of the CAA advisory group on this, part of Heathrow's advisory group. And so I've kind of I've been welcome, I think. And they allow you to sit around the table and talk to them about it then you can get change and changes are coming. Well, that's a very inspiring message to end on. Thank you so much for speaking to us, Chris. My pleasure. Have a lovely evening, the rest of you. Well, it's all about the bottom line, isn't it? And cutting as cost as much as possible. So British Airways might be spending £8 billion on making special lavish suites for their business class passengers to turn left into. Whereas Michael O'Leary keeps on uh, bringing up the idea of making everyone on an aeroplane stand for the whole flight. (laughs) (laughs) I think if you get on a Ryanair flight and you haven't been pushed over or smacked in the face, then you've won, really. But, I mean, seriously, they came up with drawings of these special kind of... It reminded me, I did, a, I did a Jack the Ripper tour once and, and apparently they used to, uh, the, the unfortunate women who were homeless and, and, and walked the streets at night, when they wanted to sleep, they all went into these pubs that used to offer a room upstairs and they just sort of tied them all together, stood up and they all sort of swayed around and, and kind of supported each other's weight standing up and occasionally one would fall over and then they'd all wake up and they'd all have to get up again because none of them were allowed to lie down and that's the future of Ryanair. Well, yeah i mean that <laughs> sounded the same didn't it i mean maybe he'd been on the same ripper tour that i went I on must i say, don't know i was on a ryanair flight recently no expenses spared on my honeymoon Whoa. and they ran out of water mid-flight and something had happened with the air conditioning so it was like sweating and melting and no water and uh yeah it was obviously a horrendous experience but not as horrendous as being stuck on a plane after everyone has gone off yeah i mean you what you don't want is to get stuck on that ryanair flight for any longer than you actually have to although if there's no other passengers on it that's half the battle isn't it the passenger fellow passengers on a ryanair flight oh eve don't hold back don't hold back sorry i've said it (laughs) i've said it Speaking to Chris at least makes you feel as though there is some hope for the future and there are things that can be done. I feel like anyone trying to enact change in this Mm. sector deserves an absolute medal Mm. and will need the patience of a saint, you know. I do get a sense that, that people just are endlessly saying we'll definitely do something at some point and hoping by the time they're moved on into another chief executive role or another ministerial role that that they don't have to worry about it anymore. And there's a lot of kicking the can down the road going on. Well, I also found out that the major industry bodies that have reports Mm. every year about the future in the next year, whatever, accessibility has only made it onto the agenda in the past two or three years. Well, this weekend we are launching a set of demands very simple demands that that people in the travel industry say should be possible that disabled people will have a space to store uh, a wheelchair foldable wheelchair in a cabin 
uh, that there'll be someone on a flight that knows what they're doing in order to assist someone with disabilities and that people won't be left for more than half an hour waiting for special assistance to take them off mm. a plane uh, once they arrive at their destination. And, and if th- they are, there will be penalties. These things seem doable. The gauntlet has been thrown down and Tanny Gray-Thompson will be outlining this in this weekend's The Mail on Sunday. So Grant Shapps, Chloe... Smith. Smith, <laughs> who I forgotten your name because you never answer our calls. Who are you? Who Where are you? are you? Please do get in touch. Let us know what you think because this situation really can't go on. Sort it's it dire. out. Just sort, sort it out. Just sort it out, Grant. Well, that's all we've got time for. You can read all about this and so much more in this weekend's The Mail on Sunday. That's the newspaper or you can consume the content via our new app, The Mail. Or visit mailplus.co.uk. We'll be back with another topic on Medical Minefield next week. See you then. Goodbye.